That's fun. Okay, I'd like to uh, go ahead and release our kids to Kids Church. Um, kindergarten other, under need to be checked in. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? I can feel fall coming in. It feels great. All right, so we are, um, we've been doing this series, which may be the longest series we've ever done here at Upper Room about family. And um, I'd like to continue that series. Last week, Steve Bowen added a lot to it. He did a great job when he talked about grace and how we need grace in these times. Didn't he do a great job? Don't you yeah. I need grace. I definitely need grace. Uh, there's so many different things going on in this time, and I definitely loved how he picked apart different definitions of it and just made it so practical and uh, applicable and um, did a great job. I want to continue um, with the family theme this morning. And what I wanted to talk about is one of the most basic core values to family, which is love. And that should be a given, obvious thing. The thing is, it isn't always. And so when you go to scripture and you think about love, the most common scripture I think of is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You hear it read at weddings all of the time, and I highly recommend you go through it and you just meditate through it. I was looking at it earlier this week, and it was really speaking to me. But I pulled out one verse out of that that I'd like to uh, just pull a few things out and relate that to family because, because love is so important in the family. So I wanted to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. And this is what it says. This is talking about love. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I pulled out a little bit of a definition for each part of that because I, I wanted to look at what it said back in the original Greek. I'm, looking, I'm, I'm reading out of the uh, NASB. Where it says, bears all things, you can also translate that as, it hides or excuses errors and faults. That's what it means, bearing all things. In other words, family does not judge a person based on their worst day. Okay? So as we see the flaws that are in our family, that's not who, the lens through which we see the, the people in our family. When it says believes all things, believes we can translate it as have confidence. In other words, it believes the best out of other people. Hopes all things. Translate that, hopefully trust in. In other words, family sees greatness in the future of others. As a family, we're looking at everybody's destiny around us and thinking, my gosh, they're going to go far. They're going to do such amazing things. And then finally, endures all things. In other words, endure, bear bravely, and calmly. In other words, family is going to stick around and endure even when things don't look so good, right? 
and I think that at a time like this, that's um, something that we really need. In the circumstances we're going through in the world, there's so much noise going on, so many different things are happening, whether you're thinking about the election or some kind of a virus that's going around or racial unrest. There's so much going on. I need to be able to hope. I need to be able to look at people and think the best for their future. And I love that scripture, and it really speaks to my heart. But whenever I read a scripture like that, my next question is, that's a great scripture, God. How do I do that, though? Like, how do I believe? Because when you're dealing with people, it doesn't always come easy believing for the best, hoping the best, because people are not always giving you their best. So what I did is I kind of divided things up into five different categories of different people you're going to encounter, you're going to deal with, cross paths in your life, family, and how to deal with each category, okay? God gave me some different uh, stories from Scripture, different places in, in people's lives from, from the Bible to look at that will kind of show you what to do when you come up against different situations. So I wanted to go through each one of those. The first category of people is people who are really, things are going well. You're connecting with them. They're going in the right direction. Things are going great. And, um, you know, you're not having any issues with them at all. You're actually feeling really good about that relationship. And that first category, what I find, what I think that we should do is celebrate. And that may seem obvious, but we don't always do that. Angie and I can tend to be uh, kind of frugal, and for those of you in the back row, that means cheap. So, you know, birthdays and Christmas, things come around, and we'll look at each other, and we're like, you want to do anything? No, I'm fine. You want to do anything? Nah, that's it's fine. Let's just save the money and not do anything. Which, you know, in some situations that works, but the problem is you're not celebrating anything. And so things can be going great, but if you don't celebrate it, things become routine. And you don't realize, you take for granted what you have. Now there's a story, um, well, I want to mention, the Bible is full of examples of celebration. In fact, it's two or three times more often you see feast in the Bible than fast. It's a much bigger thing. It's, it's really huge, important to God that we celebrate. So much so, there's a story about Jesus. I'm not going to to read the whole thing, but I'll tell you, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of it. In John chapter 2, there's this story about Jesus. He's just started his ministry very early on, and he's at this wedding, and his mother Mary is there. And at the wedding, they run out of wine, and there's no wine left, and it's getting late, and it's kind of embarrassing for the wedding party. And Mary looks at Jesus, and she says, Jesus, they're out of wine. And Jesus, like, it's not my time. And then Mary immediately looks at everybody else. She says, do whatever Jesus says. Well, all of a sudden, it became his time. And he said, gather up the washing vats and fill them the, to the brim and bring them to me with, fill them with water and bring them to me. And so they, they bring six of them, these big things. And all of a sudden, this water turns into wine. 
and they try it out at the wedding, and they're like, this is better than what they started with. Like, usually they start with the good wine and go for the cheap stuff later. But they're like, this is the best stuff um, that, that you've had. We've never tasted anything this good. And what amazes me about this scripture, about this passage, I'm amazed that Jesus turned water into wine. Yes, that, that is, is amazing. But what else amazes me is what Jesus chose because that was the first miracle he performed. So God in his wisdom decided, I'm not going to raise somebody from the dead for my first miracle. I'm not going to cast out demons for my first miracle. I'm not going to grow a limb out that's crippled. I'm not going to walk on water for the first miracle. My first miracle is going to be party beverage. Yes, that's what God decided to be the first miracle of Jesus' ministry. Why? Well, I think one of the reasons is celebration is pretty important to God. He wants us to celebrate. And so if you're connecting with family, with the people around you, don't take that for granted. Celebrate that. Make sure that you are, are making that special and, and saying this is a big deal. The next uh, level of people you may be dealing with are people that maybe things aren't going as great. And maybe there are a bunch of issues that are going on, and, and you're seeing all these issues, and it's creating a little bit of difficulty connecting with them. Okay? And when I think of this story, I think of uh, Joshua and Caleb going into the promised land. If you're not familiar with this one, I'll give you the background, and then I'll read a, a couple of verses of it. Moses and the Israelites um, are right near the promised land. They've been wandering for a little while there, but, but they, they're getting ready because they're, they're right at the edge of the promised land that God had promised them. And he sends 12 spies to go into the land. And they all go in there, and they all see the same thing. But 10 of them come out and say, this place is terrible. There's giants in there. I don't know how we'll ever overtake it. But Joshua and Caleb come out, and they say something different. So let's look at Numbers 14, starting with verse 6. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then who will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Joshua and Caleb saw something when they went into the land, and they pulled something out of it that the other ten did not. They saw what was good and did not let it distract them from the issues that were at hand. And when we're dealing with family and we're dealing with relationships, that's one of the things that we need to do is find what's good and pull that out. When Joshua and Caleb went in the land, they did deny that there were problems. They just didn't let those problems have the greatest influence on them. Because they, they looked at two things. The land is amazing. It is really good. And two... God promised it to us. 
They didn't need any more information beyond that. They said, we're going for it. And it kind of reminds me of something in my life. Um, I can get pretty worked up when my kids forget to do their chores. And it's like, you know, this isn't that hard. You know, I mean, the litter box has its own little strainer inside of it. You don't even need the scoop anymore. You could just pull the strainer out and dump it, and it's just so simple. You know, why, why couldn't you do that? But what I found out is the more I get worked up, the less happy any of us are. And I can get them to do it, but it's not fun. And what I realized was when I only focus on what they're not doing, I forget that they have really good grades, that they don't get in trouble, they're really good kids. And if I lose that, I sacrifice my connection with them just so I can make sure a chore gets done. Now, it's not that those chores aren't important. But what I want to make sure is that they don't forget that I value what they are, what they are and not where their weaknesses are. And so that's, that's what I pulled out of that next group of people. Now, some of you might be saying, yeah, but I don't see much in our promised land right now. Like, my kids don't have good grades, and my kids are, are really struggling right now, and I'm having these issues in my marriage, and these things are happening. And I have something for you, too, if that's where you are, if that's where you're struggling. There's a story of a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was this amazing prophet of God. And he was at odds with the king of Israel because the king of Israel, Ahab, was bringing in false worship and just, just terribly corrupt um, monarchy. And Elijah challenged the prophets of Ahab. He challenged them to this contest. And basically, they said, um, if you can light this altar on fire by your gods, I'll worship them. If not, if not, then I'll call to my God and we'll worship him. Well, as you can suspect, the false prophets didn't work. Elijah did, and God slammed fire down. And they're in the midst, and, and, and every, everybody wins. You know, God is, is shown to be God. But right after that, there's this scene of Elijah. And Israel has been in a drought for a long time. And everybody's wondering, all right, God showed up then, but when is it going to rain? When will the rain be coming? So Elijah goes, and, and with his, he's with his servant, and he starts praying. And as he's praying, he tells the servant, I want you to go out and let me know when the clouds are coming. Because when the clouds are coming, we know it's going to rain. So the servant goes, and the servant comes back, and Elijah says, you see anything yet? And the servant's like, nope, don't see anything, no evidence. All right, go back and look again. So the servant goes back, and he looks again. Comes back again. Do you see anything yet? Any evidence, any clouds, is it going to rain? The servant said, no, don't see anything. Seven times this happens. Elijah keeps praying. The servant keeps going back and looking. And finally, on the seventh time, Elijah says, did you see any clouds? And the servant says, well, I did see one cloud, but it's like the size of a man's hand. Now, 
This is the size of a man's hand, give or take. Okay? If you see that up in the sky and you're hoping for rain, in the natural, you're not going to be that excited. Okay? But this is what, what Elijah says in uh, 1 Kings 18.44. So Elijah said, Go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Elijah saw just a little bit of evidence and he knew God's promise and he went for it. He went after it. And pretty soon the rain just started pouring and pouring and it didn't stop. In our relationships, sometimes we just need to search for that little thing, that little evidence that God is actually doing something in that life, in your marriage, that God's actually doing something with your children, that God's actually doing something in that friendship. Look for that cloud the size of the man's hand and say, that's it, and go after it. And embrace that promise. Because if God's showing you a little something, he's just asking you to step out in faith so that he can pour out the more. So that's three examples. But there are a couple more I want to talk about. The fourth one would be the group of people that said, I was looking for a cloud the size of a man's hand, and I went seven times, and I actually went 14 times, and I didn't see any cloud in the sky, not even the size of a man's hand. And some of you are looking at your relationships and you're thinking, I don't see much evidence that this is going to work out at all. You know, uh, my kids, they may be in, involved in, substance abuse and they're going down the wrong path and they're making all kinds of poor decisions and I don't see a lot of hope the light at the end of the tunnel looks like a train coming this is scary so what 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 do you do then when you you're looking for that cloud but you don't even find it you're not even seeing that little bit well what the Lord brought to me on that one was another story was of Elisha. Now, Elisha is a different prophet than Elijah. They're two different guys, very similar names, but two very different personalities. Elisha was a prophet when Israel was at war with Aram. And when Israel's at war with Aram, Elisha was able to tell Israel where Aram was going to be at different times during the war. And you can imagine that would be a pretty big advantage. If you know where your enemy is going to be at that time, especially, that could be a huge advantage. So Elisha was not real real well liked by the king of Aram. And so the king of Aram actually sends an army out to take care of Elisha. And Elisha's with his servant again, And here's where that story picks up. This is 2 Kings, chapter 6, 16 and 17. So he answered, oh, and and I I forgot to mention, the the servant who's with him, he sees the army surrounding them, and he's panicked. He's like, how are we ever going to survive this? And this is where Elisha picks up in verse 16. So he answered, do not fear, For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain, mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha knew something supernatural was going on, that he, even when he couldn't see that cloud the size of a man's hand. There was something going on be, behind the scenes. And when he prayed that, the God, that God would open the eyes of the servant, the servant saw that they weren't outnumbered anymore. And in fact, their army looked a lot more intimidating than the army that was against them. There were chariots of fire. There's an angelic army there to protect them. Sometimes when you can't see what God's doing, when you can't see that little evidence of hope, there's something else going on behind the scenes. Now, I have a, a friend uh, for many years who um, many years ago uh, was getting ready to do a, a business trip. And this isn't uncommon for him. He would travel quite a bit. Um, but one of the flights on his trip was from Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. to LAX. The problem was he never received the ticket from Dulles to LAX. Now, as you can imagine, if you're in business and you don't get the ticket to your flight, that can be pretty inconvenient. And so, you know, he's, he's kind of like, what's going on? What's the matter here? Well, later when he was supposed to take that flight, he realized that there was more going on. The day happened to be September 11th, 2001, and the flight happened to be Flight 77, which is the one that crashed into the Pentagon. If he had gotten the ticket, he wouldn't be here today. There's something more going on that he couldn't see. And so what we want to do when we're dealing in our, in our families, in our relationships, we want to ask the Lord to give us eyes to see what more is he doing. Open our eyes to see what's going on that we might not see in the physical. He might show you that, listen, I'm speaking to that person's heart, even though they're still acting out. They're just a couple of steps away from coming back to me, you know. He may give you things or show you things that are going on that you had no idea were. And so ask him to open your spiritual eyes. So you've looked for the cloud the size of the man's hand and you can't find it in the natural. Ask him what's going on in the spiritual. See what the bigger thing is. And then the last one in the group is sometimes you get in a situation and you ask God what's going on in the spiritual, and God said, no, this is just bad. I mean, it's, this, this person is just made, they, because of free will, they've made some bad choices, and, you know, I cannot violate, because of my nature, I cannot violate their free will. I will allow them to make a bad choice here. I will allow them to choose disconnection if that's what they want. And the story that I connected and related to that was, story of the, the prophet Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah lived at a time when Israel was about to be invaded and taken over. And he'd been prophesying in, in this for a long time. And in the midst of all of this, he's saying, you know what, it, it's, it's too late. Israel's going, it's, this is going to happen. You're, we're going to be invaded. In the midst of all this, God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go 
and buy land in Israel. Now, if your country was about to be taking over, that would not be the time to invest in real estate. Right? That would not be a good time to go in and, and think about what kind of a deal can I get on this, this plot of property here. And yet that's what God told Jeremiah to do. Let me read what it says in Jeremiah 32, 42 through 44. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, so I am going to bring them all the good that I am promising them. Fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign and seal deeds, and call in witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the environs of Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the Negev. For I will restore their fortune, declares the Lord. God is saying that eventually this is all going to work out. Eventually, it's going to be hard. You're going to go through a hard time here. And so what we do uh, when we get into a situation in our relationships or in life, and we can just see this is going down, what we do is we embrace Romans 8.28. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And so I might not see how this is going to work out now, but I know something good is coming in the future. There's a, a, um, I do a, a Zoom class for people who are being mentored uh, by Danny Silk, and there's a group of us from different parts of the world, actually. And we, we each got a chance to present, and... Um, one of the guys uh, is a pastor from Mexico, and he spoke on this, which I thought really ministered to me. He and his wife um, had three children, and they had always thought that if you're just a really good parent, then your kids will do the right things all the time. And that worked really well for their first two. And then they had their son. And all of a sudden, He's coming home drunk. He's getting into uh, drugs. He's doing self-injury. They find him passed out in the driveway. They, they put him to bed. It is just, they go through this heartache and pain, and they feel like, we are good parents. How can this happen? How could this, how could this be possible? And he talked about it like it was a horse race. And he said, everybody around them uh, was telling them, you've got to bet on the favorite. Bet on the favorite, which is control. You've got to control him. Bet on, put your money on the favorite. That's what's going to win. And he's like, ah, I, I, I know better. I can't do that. I've got to bet on connection. And that's the underdog. That's the, that's the horse that nobody's betting on. Everybody around them said, you've got to bet on the favorite. Bet on trying to control him. Bet on that. He said, no, I'm going to keep putting my money. Every time I'm going to bet on connection. And something would happen. He'd bet on connection, and, and, and it wouldn't work. He didn't get a connection with him, and the son would make another bad choice. 
And then you try again. I'm going to bet on connection again. And again, it didn't work. It didn't happen. Again and again and again. Until finally, one day, his son recognized, my dad just wants to have connection with me. He doesn't want to control me. He wants to have connection. And they have this amazing relationship now. Now, his son still hasn't chosen all the choices that he'd like him to. In fact, he's not, he doesn't even want anything to do with the, with the church that they're in. But what they do have, what he did bet on, was connection. And sometimes you just have to invest in a field even when it doesn't make sense. You just invest in it because God is good. You've gone through, you're trying to find the good things. You're trying to look for the cloud of the size of the man's hand. You're asking God, will you show me what's going on behind the scenes? And you don't see anything. And you still invest in this field that's in the middle of a place that's being invaded and taken over because you know God is good. And you know that love will win in the end. And that's what we invest in. As family, we invest in connection together. So um, I want to close things up um, today. So I'm going to ask you, if you would stand up. you hold your hands out like God's given you something? God, you are good. Holy Spirit, we we invite you to, to come right now. We need you, and we want you. And we want you, and we need you. Lord, I pray that you give us that gift. Give us eyes to see where we can celebrate right now. What are the things that we need to celebrate? Give us the eyes to see what's going on that's good. Give us the eyes to see even the cloud the size of a man's hand that's going on in our relationships, in our lives. Lord, give us eyes to see the things that don't make sense, but that you are over, that you have control of. And give us the courage to buy a field when it doesn't make sense to buy it. Now turn your hands over the other way like you're letting go of something. Lord, we give to you that negativity. We give to you the distractions from what you're doing. We give to you the things that would pull us away from connection. We give to you those other things that we don't need that are not of you. Now turn them back over. Now, Jesus, what will you give us in exchange for those things? And see what he'll fill you with. What does he want to give to you? Now, it occurs to me that some of you are are feeling and, and might be thinking, God, I wish somebody would believe in me. I wish somebody would see the best in me that they wouldn't get distracted by the, the other things that are going on in my life, but they would see that there's, there's good. I want to invite you to let that person be Jesus in your life. Now, Jesus will use other people to do that, and that's good, but eventually other people are not going to be perfect. They're going to fail you, and he's the only one that won't. 
so I want to invite you to have a personal relationship with him. If you don't already, that you would accept him and let him be the one who speaks truth into your life. Let him be the one who dances and rejoices over you. Let him show you the gold that's in you. If you haven't met Jesus and you don't know how to do that, I, I want to invite you to, to speak to me or one of the other pastors. We would love to introduce you to him. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you for family. I thank you for these people, these good people here. And I thank you that you give us eyes to see what's right and emphasize that and go after that. Give us courage to go after connection and to recognize that we can't live trying to control anybody but ourselves. I bless everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. Go out and have a great Sunday and bring Jesus to everybody around you.